Slashic Horror. I'm your host, Leroy Cross James, and today I have a special guest with me who I'm really excited to do this episode with. He is the author of The Haunting of Harry Peck and a great friend of mine. Please welcome David Jack Fletcher. Hi, David Jack. Hey, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. Oh, that's no problem at all. I'm glad to have you on. I'm I'm good. I'm good. How how are you? Pretty good, yeah. Getting there. <laughs> that sounds so positive. <laughs> I'm trying to think of something clever to say, like because I'm in Australia and mm. people always say that it's straight, like that it's upside down because it's on the other side of the world. <laughs> I was trying to think of something clever to say and I couldn't. So, anyways. Uh, so obviously, I w- the first thing I, I suppose I should talk about is is your book, The Haunting of Harry Pack. So, do you want to tell our listeners a little bit about your uh, your book? Yeah, sure. So it's um, it's a horror comedy, but I really try to emphasize the comedy mm-hmm. um, because when I've been telling people about it, they go, oh, I don't do horror, so I'll never buy it, I'll never read it. And I'm like, you kind of give it a chance, you know? <laughs> um, so I really emphasize the, the, uh, the, the comedy aspect of it, and it's got horror themes. So it's about a guy who gets pressured into killing a chicken, um, at his uncle's farm, and he subsequently becomes um, haunted by the chicken's ghost, and it gets progressively worse and worse. Um, you know, like to the point where it wants to possess him, um, mm. and he ends up in this. Like, I don't want to, no spoilers in that regard. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, he teams up with this guy named Vegan Shaman, who is a vegan shaman, um, mm. and people seem to really love that character. I don't. I like loved him, him. <laughs> but uh, um, I don't know. I, I I loved him. I thought I thought he was great. I just there's just um, something about him. <laughs> <laughs> um and yeah, so they team up and they try to stop this um stop the haunting, but it kind of turns out to be more of a family curse. Um, and I've got like little bits of historical retellings throughout that are completely true. <laughs> and uh, and uh, they're all fake, just to clarify that. But, um, but, yeah, it kind of like threads the present-day story to the historical, um, these historical hauntings, and we kind of discover that um, there's something really wrong with Harry's family. <laughs> I mean, it was a great book. I, I had a lot of fun reading it, um, and... Uh, I'm excited to see what you're coming up with next. Can you can you tell can you tell us a little bit about what you're working on at the minute? Yes. Well, so it's it's at the moment called Ravens Creek, um, mm. but I may be changing the title. But it's basically the love child of the island of Doctor Moreau and mm. 
cabin in the woods. So there's like crazy evil scientists. There's weird experiments in the basement. Um, hopefully lots of chaos. <laughs> um, but something that I like to do with my writing is to include queer characters because mm. a lot of the horror that I've read and engaged with doesn't necessarily have realistic gay or lesbian or queer characters. So that's what I like to put forward in my writing. Um, and so this book is centred around a, um, a, a gay married couple who are um, searching for a runaway surrogate who's going to have their baby. Um, and they all end up at this motel in this abandoned town called Ravens Creek. And that's where um, the shit hits the fan, like, really bad. <laughs> and they, they pretty much, they, they check into their room and, like, it's, it's on. They, they get attacked. They get led down into this um, facility under the motel. There's monsters. There's, like, weird, you know, the, in The Purge 2 where there's that, the elite are kind of watching the show. Yes. They're on private viewing. There's, like, that sort of scenario going on. And um, so hopefully it's a pretty crazy ride. It sounds it for sure, in a good way. But no, I, I I totally agree with you there about um queer characters in a lot of a lot of um horror literature, and that's something that I found personally through getting into the indie horror community. I'm finding a lot more people are, are expressing those voices, and they're they are realistic, and I think that's something that's really great about the the indie horror community. Yeah, I would 100 percent agree with that. Um, I think when you get into that mainstream, mm. if you have a queer character of any, you know, a- anywhere on the spectrum, it's normally for a political purpose rather than mm. just like, actually it's quite normal for like we exist and it's normal. It's not necessarily a political statement. Um, yeah. So for my writing, it's not a political statement. It's just, you know, I'm a gay married man and mm. there is the possibility that my surrogate will run away. <laughs> <laughs> If I ever had a surrogate, but so you know what I'm trying to say where it's like um, the sexuality isn't at the forefront. It just, it's mm. the very well-rounded characters who happen to be queer um, that are at the forefront of the story. So that's kind of what I want to do with my writing. So hopefully people are enjoying that. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, in terms in terms of writing, when, when, did, you, when did you first get into it, would you say? Oh, um... <laughs> These questions make me feel like a really old man. <laughs> so I'm thinking like back in my childhood, and that was a long time ago now. But um, I mean, well, you know, it's that classic thing though, where it's like I've always had this desire to mm. tell stories. So before I knew how to write, I kind of made some stories up, and it was very like an oral kind of thing. And then. Um, as I kind of got into schooling and things, um, I found that my imagination was, I didn't know how to articulate my ideas properly. So what I used to do was I used to rewrite the endings of some movies that I liked. Mm. Uh, the best one that I can remember off the top of my head is Mac and Me. Have you ever seen that? <laughs> I know, I know. <laughs> but I didn't like the ending because it made no sense to me as a kid. <laughs> Not that the rest of the movie made much sense, <laughs> but the end just, and so I thought I'm going to rewrite the movie with it to, to fit the ending that I wanted to see. Um, <laughs> and so I kind of just started doing that. And I think I was probably about seven or eight. 
um, mm. doing that. And then uh, I just kind of started writing my own stuff, um, mostly sci-fi and thriller. So mm. the, the horror thing for writing is quite new for me. Yeah. Um, it's norm- Yeah, it's normally been crime fiction or thrillers and things like that. So, yeah, I mean... I'm interested how now that you've mentioned Mac and me, kind of oh, going on, kind of on subject, but kind of not to what we're going to be talking about later today. Oh. Um, what what did how did you change the ending of Mac and me out of interest? Oh, okay, so <laughs> it was this like FBI style people. You know how like they were being chased. Um, yeah, but I kind of feel like I got ET and Mac and me mixed up in my head. Mm. So um, after the big scene at the petrol station that blows up and the guy in the wheelchair died and was brought back to life, I was like, they can't just become American citizens. Like, mm. that doesn't make sense. And they've got this, like, pink Corvette and they're in suits and, like, they don't even, they can't. So, <laughs> like, how are they going to get a job? Like what's yeah? <laughs> so in my little, like eight year old head, this didn't make sense. So I was like, we need to get the attention of the American um, Secret Service and the government and FBI and CIA. And so they started like pursuing this band of like aliens and the children <laughs> driving across country. And there was lots of shootouts and action and things like that made it very not Mac and me. <laughs> I mean, it's it sounds like a much better ending than the actual. I mean, don't get me wrong. I enjoy a bit of Mac and me, mostly because of how fucking terrible it actually is. <laughs> But <laughs> but yeah, that sounds like a better ending. <laughs> I've got to say, I've seen it probably six times. It's hilarious. Like if you put, yes. put aside the fact that it's like very low budget, very poor quality, bad mm. acting, terrible music, <laughs> it's just really fun. And he gets sucked mm. into the vacuum cleaner, and it's like his eyes go all wobbly and it's just good kind of 1980s fun it's basically an endorsement for mcdonald's as well <laughs> not basically they funded it yeah it's <laughs> called mac and me <laughs> um uh, so where can our listeners fi- find you on social media so they can keep up to date with your your writing and new releases yeah i'm on um, facebook and instagram and hopefully a website soon. Um, but, yeah, so for Facebook, it's um, Fletcher Horror. If you just look me up, um, Fletcher Horror uh, and David Jack Fletcher, author on Instagram. Brilliant. Thank you. It'd be great to get some more followers. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. We, we, we like it. We like followers. We like followers. Um, so, okay, so you, you, you've mentioned sci-fi i know sci-fi is quite a big big genre for you but how how did you get into horror um and uh, do you know what to be specific to this episode sci-fi as well actually uh like i've always loved sci-fi um Mm. i always found the idea that we're not the only thing in the universe (laughs) like the only planet in the in the universe that can sustain you know sentient life Mm. um i always found that really interesting and things like twilight zone and yeah um, you know x-files and those sorts of shows that kind of reimagine 
life in some of those episodes um and it's i've always just had an interest in that sort of thing uh, about what's possible and like the limits of possibility so um that's how i got into sci-fi and then horror kind of came along a little bit later mm-hmm. um because i was a bit of a scaredy cat like <laughs> actually like scared of everything when i was a kid <laughs> I won't go into details about why, but I was just terrified of everything. And I was, I remember very specifically, I was 15 and we, as a family, we watched Scream from 1996 Mm. and I had to sleep with the light on for a week. What? Yeah. It was, it was like, for me, that was not acceptable because Mm. we know it's not real. It's a movie. Yeah, um, and yet I'm in my bedroom at night, got the covers pulled up, and I'm like, oh, "Ghost face is gonna come for me." <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, like, you know, I can, I, I love the thrill of of you know those jumps and the adrenaline and like mm. um, those moments of fear, and they can be really exciting, but not a whole week's worth of it. So. After that, <laughs> After that experience, I was kind of just like, this isn't who I want to be, you know, because mm. I was scared of so many things in real life and getting bullied and whatever. And mm. so I started to kind of like watch more and challenge myself to to prove that there was nothing to be afraid of. And um, it's actually worked maybe too well because I'm not really <laughs> scared of anything anymore. Um yeah, they, like I found that it really uh, changed the way I see the world. Um, mm. And I also realised that horror is is quite beautiful in that it's that space for the other where, yeah. you know, it, it is a space for queer people to come and, like, be represented and it's a space for, um, like, really important discussions about race and mm. many other things. So um, once I kind of started to realise that, I was like, this is actually... Like, I mean, minus the blood and guts, it's beautiful. But oh, I was yeah, blood and guts. So. There we are. <laughs> um, yeah, and so I mostly wrote, as I said, crime fiction and things. And then um, I had about a ten-year break from writing because I was working so much. Mm. And uh, and I was saying to everyone, I, f- I just want to start writing. And you know, I watched so much horror. And I have a lot of ideas. And then I just thought, I'm going to write. I'm going to write horror stuff. Um, And so that's just how it started. And then Harry Peck kind of came along one day when I was talking to my parents about how they buried, half buried a chicken in their backyard. And I was like, that chicken's going to be so mad at you. (laughs) Like, And I said to my dad, I'm going to write a story about this chicken, like, haunting you. And then it turned into Harry Peck. Um, (laughs) But just so everyone knows, the the half buried thing was actually not true. They were joking, mm. and they just didn't tell me they were joking until a while <laughs> after, because they saw my reaction and I got so riled up about it. I mean, they gave they gave you a great inspiration for a story. That's that something. That's what <laughs> the end of the day. Okay, so so this week uh, we're going to be talking in a broad sense about the Alien franchise, mm. um, specifically uh, the original quadrilogy that centres on a warrant officer called Ellen Ripley 
and her various encounters with the now infamous xenomorphs. And um, it all started with a face-hugging creature that came out of a mysterious egg on planet LV-426. Do you remember the first time you watched Alien and what your reaction was to it? Um, I do. And (laughs) I, look, I was probably about 12. Mm. Um, And for some reason, like it's very clearly a horror movie, but I think I saw it more as a sci-fi. So I wasn't scared of it at all which is quite mm. funny because um, I was terrified of Scream. But <laughs> I actually thought it was quite boring. I know that's really? what I know. I, I know. But I am oh. a convert. I've, I'm one of the converted. So, like, <laughs> you know, 12-year-old watching a movie from 1979, I was like, oh, like, how does this little worm thing, like, become a face thing and then it becomes this huge thing? I was like... What, like it doesn't make any sense to me. So, <laughs> um, I mean, maybe I was overthinking it, or maybe I wasn't actually paying much attention because it is like pretty clear. <laughs> but um, I kind of rediscovered it at university for because I did a a bunch of um, cultural studies units in mm. my undergrad, and that kind of branched into gender studies and sociology and things. So. In one of my classes, we actually looked at a scene from the original 1979 Alien, and I was like, I don't remember seeing this part. Like, this is cool. (laughs) So, uh, and it was all about, like, the idea of, um, like, the monstrous feminine and, like, like, all Mm. the imagery in the film that's, um, like, phallic and, like, the idea of masculinity versus femininity in the movie. Um, and I never got past those ideas. Like, I was like, what? Like, that's really cool. And then mm. I rewatched them on my own to the point where I ended up using the franchise for my honours uh, my honors thesis. Mm. So, yes, my initial reaction to it was less than impressed. <laughs> and now I've probably seen each of them, I'm going to say, easily ten times. Mm. And I... Then- Last year, we had uh, a special viewing of Alien and Aliens at the mm. cinema, and I almost died. <laughs> I was like, oh, I get to experience the magic of it in the cinema. Like, I was going to say, I bet, I bet that was amazing to see it on the big screen. Oh, yeah, but not only that, with the sound, and you had all these, like, young people. I can't believe I can say that now, but all these young people. <laughs> Like, and they, their reactions to it. And I was like, this is probably what it was like in 1979. It's awesome. Mm-hmm. Really awesome. Absolutely. It's a weird one with me with Alien because I didn't, I saw them out of chronological order. I actually, I remember specifically seeing Alien Resurrection first because it came out in the video shop. Yeah. So, I just kind of took it as um, I took it as oh okay so this 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 woman's been cloned, uh, she did a load of shit. Didn't know what, but <laughs> I was just kind of followed it. And yeah. then after that, I remember Alien Special Edition. So I saw the special edition before I even saw the theatrical cut. Uh, it was on TV. I saw that. Then I watched Alien Three. And finally, I watched Alien, so I can watch. I remember the first times that I watched these films, I watched them completely out of order. Oh, um, how did that but, impact your your perception of the movies? 
it made me, I mean, for years, I was very much like Alien Resurrection is the ultimate Alien movie because that was the first one that I watched and I had like that connection to it and probably because it had Winona Ryder in it and I was young and, you know, yeah. Edward Scissorhands, um, <laughs> all that sort of stuff. Um, but as I got older and I, I rewatched it, it completely changed my um, the order of how I, I mean, Alien 3, I... I'll get into that later. It's not my favorite at all, but Alien, um, Aliens, and Alien are my top two, and um, that that changed through rewatching it over the years and picking up on some of the themes that you you did actually, and just seeing seeing it how seeing it from that perspective. Yeah, I'm not sure that the people who made it purposely put that stuff in there because it was a bunch of like straight white men. So I'm not sure they were like, let's put some phallic symbols in there. I think it's just the way that they were thinking about, like that's how they see the world and it came out that way. I mean, have you ever have you seen um, Gigi's original art, like concepts and stuff? Yeah. It's, it's proper phallic. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, I think in terms, in terms of that, they toned it down just a tad. But even looking at, like, the xenomorph and even the face hugger, like, you know. <laughs> to me, that looks like a dick and balls. <laughs> well, <laughs> With <spider> legs. <laughs> there is like that whole thing about sexual abuse too in the films. Mm. So yeah. you know, um, like the idea. Well, one of the ultimate ideas behind the movies, or that comes through for me in the movies, is mm. um, the power of patriarchal um, society or patriarchal. Mm. So the face hugger, dick and balls. Mm. On your face, you can't get it off until yeah. you're pregnant. Like, I don't really need to be more specific than that, right, to see <laughs> the themes coming through. Um, and you basically you violently give birth to this mm. monstrous creature um, that represents pretty much the antithesis of humanity through mm. that violence. So... I mean, there's also, like, that, that's another thing as well, I suppose, that, that flips the gender roles on its head. I mean, just just briefly just discussing discussing that, I mean, Adam was a, uh, Ripley was a, meant to be a male in early production yeah. and they changed it to female, but also as well, the idea of the male birth as well in the film, obviously the infamous chest-bursting scene where John Hurt gives birth to a, a xenomorph. Yeah, and it was a big shock, I imagine, for people who watched that for the first time. Yeah, I mean, you didn't really know what was happening in that scene, right? Like yeah. the first time. Now it's very famous, but the first time they'd be like, "Oh, what's happening?" And you always expect um, a, a woman to be one of the first, mm. but of course there mm. were only two women in the whole movie. But I kind of, I mean, what I argued in my in my honest thesis, is that Ripley specifically um, mm. is actually a male, despite the physical body. Mm. Um, a gay male specifically, but we can talk about that later. <laughs> <laughs> but um, in the way that all the characters kind of like they wake up from their little sleep pods um, and in a way we can kind of see that as like the, the immaculate conception birth idea, where we meet those characters for the first time as they're coming to life and they're birthed from the ship. So, and they all run around a lot of the movie in, um, in like a white shirt and undies or something. They do get mm. changed here and there, but 
mostly they're quite androgynous, uh, a lot mm. of those characters. And Ripley's pretty much the same as that. She's just um, the one that survives. Yeah. So in a way, you could almost kind of argue that um, the, the way that they're dressed and they're kind of like the infantile nature of their characters, that they are actually still sperm. That's an interesting theory, actually. I mean, the one thing that, I, 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 as you know, I, I rewatched the entire quadrilogy in, in anticipation for this. <laughs> the one thing that, oh, I know, yeah, uh, just, so, uh, just so it's clear in my mind, because my mind gets a bit scatty. But the one thing that pisses me off about the first Alien is how nobody in that film listens to Ripley at all. They literally talk over her constantly. And it's it's almost like that misogynistic, you know, this is the boys' club. I mean, I know there's Lambert there. But then on the flip side, your idea of them being androgynous and just a collective group altogether is, is, is that, rather than being male or female. That kind of makes sense. But, yeah, it just seems like even, like, Lambert gets listened to more than Ripley. And, of course, yeah. if they had listened to Ripley, none of this shit would have happened. <laughs> quite interesting because you can see like moments of transgression in each of the characters where they are kind of like that like the babyish sort of thing but then they have to step up and take rank and mm. so in the context of that film taking rank um i guess and in the context of the late 1970s taking rank was usually a male thing yeah right so they have moments where they kind of step into those male roles um which is ultimately what ends up um, getting most of them killed, which I think yeah. is quite, quite ironic. But what's funny about Lambert, though, is that she's like that, uh, what am I trying to say? She's that character that's like she's always smoking and she's always mm. like bloodshot eyes and she's she's like hectic and crazy and she doesn't know what, like she yells all the time. So there's, to me, that kind of represented um, like heightened femininity. Because, mm. you know, the idea of, um, you know, women not being rational, like very mm. emotional creatures, which I don't agree with. I very much disagree no. with that. Yes, we don't agree with that. <laughs> but it is, um, it is something that comes through in the movie where she's kind of like that, that archetype of the, the, you know, the stressy woman. Mm. Um, and I think part of the, part, for part of the movie at least, that's how she survives. Yeah. Um, and then when she tries to engage with technology, which is another masculine form, like theoretically speaking, um, if we look at women as nature and men as like, you know, the maker, um, mm. there's kind of that idea that men are more homely or more comfortable with technology. So then when Lambert, this ultimate like stress, stress head woman character, starts to try and engage with technology to kill the xenomorph, she it's incompatible and she dies i mean i'm like i'm not saying that this is like you know no but it's an, it's an interesting to hear that's that theory though i mean this is the, the, the beauty of uh with most horror films or sci-fi films i think you know it's it just the way you can interpret it because there's so many different ways that this film can be interpreted and i've thought about mm. many different ways it can but it's just, yeah, I, I think that's an interesting thing to think about, actually. I mean, I, I, in terms of technology, I know we've discussed this briefly away from this podcast, but, you know, even, like, the idea of um, Mother and um, 
the, the spaceship computer program, the the, the, whole, yeah. the the thing that controls the whole spaceship, mm-hmm. and um, like the anger that Ripley has towards Mother during the end because she's not being compatible for her, whereas she was for Dallas, but not for her. <laughs> yeah, and um, it's not until the fourth one that the the name of the of the ship is changed to Father. Mm. So the first three films, because I'm pretty sure it was meant to just be a trilogy originally. Mm, the first yeah. three films are very much centered around those ideas of hyper masculinity. Yeah. Um, and even though the the ship is named Mother, that's an inherent flaw within the ship, as we come to see later, because mm. femininity and technology can't exist together. Yeah. So at the end, the ship has to be destroyed. Wait, is the ship destroyed in the fourth one? No, in the fourth one, uh, they they end up on the Earth. Yeah, yeah. Mm. What's that? Much- <laughs> I'm actually. Do you know what? I only watched this two days ago, and I'm questioning. I'm questioning whether it was a, sh- a shuttle pilot or whether it was the actual ship. Now, either <laughs> way, <laughs> they end up on the Earth. <laughs> I promise. I promise. We are big fans. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure that the ship actually gets like really messed up and is destroyed mm. and they escape on a shuttle. But they still yeah. escape with the the father, like the mm. computer system. Um, but yeah. <laughs> not to say that my theory is, is not flawed at all. It's just kind of these themes that I can see coming through. The whole film as well, uh, in terms of characters, watching if you were to watch that film for the first time, I feel that alien is quite omniscient in the sense that it doesn't focus on one central character to start off with yeah and what i think is quite a clever technique that they used was that it keeps you guessing with that game of who is going to survive like because really it's only as the film goes on that ripley for example is slowly developed like to be honest she's just more or less in the background for the first probably half an hour 45 minutes yeah, yeah, and that's because she kept keeps getting spoken over and like mm-hmm. pushed around and whatever. So you're just like, oh, okay, she's a minor character, and then <laughs> you know she comes out as as the hero in the end. Yeah, but I think yeah, I just th- there are so many interesting things in that movie um, and in the sequel, like particularly the sequel because it changed. Mm it kind of just becomes like this, like you watch the movie and go, I'm not actually sure how it's related to the first one other than it's Ripley Mm. and it's the Xenomorph, but it could be a completely different movie. Well, absolutely. I mean, in my, in my honest opinion, I see alien as a mix of, I mean, again, no one has to agree with me on this. This is just my perception of it. I see it as a hybrid of a haunted house movie and also a slasher movie. The first movie is very much horror, whereas mm. the second one is very much sci-fi action. Oh yeah, yeah, very much. So it's completely different genres, in my opinion. Like that isolation that you feel in the first one, and that, that's where I guess the haunted house aspect comes in of all the darkly lit corridors and what's around the corner, and then obviously the slasher element of this killer that's killing them off, but. Mm. Yeah, with the with aliens, it's it's very much very much action orientated, and it is completely different. But I think that works. 
I think that's why they're both as popular as each other now. I mean, like, God, there was one xenomorph in Alien and mm. very clever marketing twist. They just put an S on the end and now we've got <laughs> heaps of aliens. <laughs> but, um, oh, it's a brilliant movie. I mean, it, it is, as you say, uh, action, a sci-fi action movie, but mm. maybe that's what it should have been. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Like if they tried to do aliens the same as they did the first one, would it have been oh, yeah. similar? It wouldn't have worked. No, I mean, that's what I mean. You take, uh, they take, you have the fear element of the first one because it is so isolated. Whereas with this, it's more open world, mm. um, you know, on LV426. Uh, and um, not only that, but like, you know, they, they do save that kind of darker build up. Like, okay, it's like, okay, yeah, we've got all these Xenomorphs. Yeah, we can kill them dead easily in the second one. But then they save that build up for later on of what is to come, which I, I absolutely love. That scene still gives me chills. <laughs> um, where um, where we see the alien queen. I mean, that, that scene, it, even watching it, I've seen this film a thousand times and I watched it the other day. And literally, that the hairs on my back just went up as soon as Ripley turned around. I just love that scene where it reveals the Alien Queen. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty cool. But I mean, like, yeah. there's so many moments in that movie that do that. You know, where Newt gets sucked down mm. uh, under the grill, and it's like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, <weird. laughs> I mean, uh, I I like Newt. But she does my tits in sometimes in that film. I know she's a kid and she can't help it, but as far as as far as kids in movies go, mm-hmm. I think she she's better than most. She is, to be fair, because you know <laughs> that most kids in a movie are going to be the one that do something ridiculously stupid and get a bunch of people killed. I don't think she really did much stupid though in that. Movie and she was quite intelligent yeah. in terms of how she hid for so long away from them as mm. well. Well, that was why it was. It was in the. I mean, I know she does me tits in, but <laughs> she has a good character in the sense of um, you know she without without her essentially they wouldn't know how to navigate um, the area. They wouldn't know that what was really going going on, and she she knew all these you know, these places to hide and where to, where to go. What advice they wouldn't have got out during the the big the big blowout before uh, the alien queen. Um, I mean, I just, I just, the line that she says always makes me laugh. I, just the way that she delivers it. They mostly come at night. Mostly. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like, that's a pretty classic line now. I've seen I know, I mean, aliens rip that line off in really funny <laughs> ways too. Yeah. <laughs> I, uh, they take the piss out of it on South Park in one episode quite a bit as well. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's in terms of, I mean, not just a shift in genre, but I feel personally it's a shift in Ripley's character as well. Like, obviously she's very central in this film and she carries carries the movie, more or less, because obviously she's coming from the, from the first film, she's been in stasis for 57 years and you know it's it's very much her movie but the one thing as well like as i said earlier the first time i watched aliens i watched the special edition Mm. so for me the scene where she finds out her daughter amanda died while she was in um 
while she was in stasis. That's always something I've associated with that film. Now, interestingly, I watched these on Disney Plus just because they were easy to watch. And obviously there's no special edition of Aliens on Disney Plus. So when I watched this, I was just like, this film doesn't make sense to me without <laughs> that scene at all. <laughs> like her connection with Newt, um, obviously the, the the battle between her and the Xeno Queen at the end, um, it just didn't make sense to me without that scene. And I can see why Sigourney Weaver was pissed off that they took it out. And that's why they put it back in for the Laserdisc. Yeah, I mean some some of those choices that the studios make don't don't make any sense. Mm. And I agree, like without that scene, it's a very pivotal scene. But yeah. something that annoys me about that scene though, and about the idea in general, is that like, okay, she's been in stasis for fifty seven years and her daughter is dead, a daughter that the audience didn't know she even had. Mm. And Ripley is just like, oh, Oh, and she, like she doesn't seem as emotionally um, connected to her daughter as you would assume. Like, there's yeah. no, she doesn't break down and like Amanda. You know, like, <laughs> there's no like what what's happened? Oh my god! You know, it's just like oh, she she died. Oh, and then she gets a bit a bit sad about it, and <laughs> I just don't really buy it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I think maybe that's part of the reason that they did originally take it out is that they probably expected a bigger reaction from her. And also as well, I suppose it was kind of something that they've added to the character's backstory, which essentially, you know, it's not James Ripley is not James Cameron's um, character. And it's kind of like adding something to that that really, in a way, he had no business doing, I suppose, what he did. And that's what Sigourney Weaver wanted for. Eventually, it became Sigourney Weaver's character. I know how protective she is of Ripley now. But something that is quite interesting is that um, I know you're not a big gamer, but there's a game called Alien Isolation, which is about Amanda. Yeah. And it's a brilliant game. <laughs> it scared the shit out of me. <laughs> um, but for me, like. Um, in terms of later sequels like Prometheus and Alien Covenant, this to me, I know it's a game. It's also a novel as well. So if you want to read the novel, there's a novelization. Um, to me, this would have been like the ultimate like like sequel, requel, whatever you want to call it. Mm. And it's actually a part in the game where she finds the flight recorder of Nostromo, Amanda, and it's Sigourney Weaver doing a new monologue specifically for Amanda and it was actually quite emotional. I was there playing this game where I've been scared and I was like <laughs> <laughs> and then I shut myself again when the Zeno came after me. Well yeah. <laughs> I great things about that game though. A friend of mine yeah. and she was like, oh you should come over and just watch. Because it's awesome. <laughs> I'm like, oh maybe. <laughs> maybe I should. <laughs> Yeah, or, or just yeah, just watch it on YouTube. I think there's actually, um, I'm sure there's a, there's a. T- I will use this phrase loosely. Twentieth century was acquired by Disney. They decided to have an alien isolation day randomly. This was like two years after the game, where they revealed they oh yeah we're releasing the no- novelization which is great, but they also did a 
online TV series, which I think is on YouTube, it's basically just cutscenes from the game with new ones added in that are really poor quality compared to the cutscenes in the game. <laughs> so it's just cheap marketing for it. But yeah, no, it's it's a great game. It's a great story. Uh, couldn't recommend it enough. So yeah, I would recommend that game. Absolutely. Well, one thing that you've said that I just wanted to revisit really quickly was this theme of motherhood. Yes. And so because we've just been talking before about how I, my interpretation of Ripley is that she's a man. Yes. Um, so, and I think it's like people probably won't be too surprised at the idea of like a man in a woman's body these days. Mm. But when I was writing this in my honours, people were like, but she has boobs. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> like, yeah, get, like, get past that. But um, so I actually think I, I see Ripley in Aliens as, like, the father. So sure, mm. like, there is that kind of, like, she looks after Newt and there's that whole thing with Hicks. But Hicks himself is not that masculine. No. Like, no. I don't and he's got, he's, like... Who's the actor? Um, Michael Bean. Michael Bean, yeah. And he's just generally got that kind of, like, soft voice, you know. Mm. And, like, it's nice and everything, but it's not necessarily the same as even Bill Paxton. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's game over, man. It's game over. Masked, right? Like, <laughs> she is much more, like, yeah. traditionally masculine than Hicks mm. So I kind of, she's my second favorite character in that, oh, in that entire film. I love her. But <laughs> uh, I kind of see Hicks and Ripley as like less a romantic interest and more as like kindred spirits. Mm. Like they, they, there's this like there is a family sense there, and they want to take Newt on. Like they want to look after her. I mean, but not necessarily in the sense of like mother, father, daughter. It mm. really seemed to have that dynamic for me. That that scene where she puts Ripley to bed, and she's got the gun under the under the bed, and well, they're, they're both under the bed, and she's got the gun there and everything. And there's that whole like that very masculinized setting, and the red mm. heat lamp and everything. So it doesn't really scream like motherhood to me, despite the mm. actions that she's taking, because fathers are very capable of putting their daughters to bed as well. And yeah. sheltering them from the monsters, right? Mm. So I really very much see Ripley as as like that father figure. And it's, you know, I, I one of the critiques I got on my honours was that I was taking, um, e- emphasising the role of the masculine too much in that mm. some people argued, some people saw my argument as saying, I'm only saying it because I don't think women can do that, which is not the case at all. It's within the context of the Alien Quadrilogy, um, mm. actually, and her relationship with the technology is where I see that that masculinity coming from. So you've got mm. other female characters um, like Vasquez, and she mm. does like that really kind of, she really vibes with technology in terms of the weapons and everything. Um, yeah. But she still maintains like... A level of femininity as well. Mm. So, There's even a line about it in the film, more well, or less. Yeah, and it proves <laughs> that you know women are capable of that sort of thing. It's just for for my my perception is specifically for Ripley. 
that mm. she's that she's a man. <laughs> well, specifically in Alien in Alien Two, um, she's a teenager. I, I I see her character very much as a teenager. You know mm. how like um, teenage boys, particularly in the eighties, would play toy soldier, like they play soldier. Mm. That sort of like that's what's happening in this whole movie. Um, yeah, and it also could kind of explain why her emotional reaction to the loss of her daughter is less than what we would expect for a woman. So I think it's less about the body and much more about what we see the character doing mm. that identifies the gender. Okay, so basically, with the theory of Ripley being a, a gay man and like the the family dynamics and such, yeah, with the alien queen at the end. Mm-hmm. Obviously, she's there protect, protecting her eggs, protecting her, her as a baby's nose, if you will. And then you have Ripley with Newt, who she's protective of, and there's that battle dynamic, and it's very much, you know, it's been argued that's the theme of mother, like different mothers protecting their 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 kind. How would you apply that theory that you have to to that ending? Well, so the alien queen at the end, so the Xenos in general, like they, they're obviously sentient, but they very mm. much are based on instinct. Like yeah. there's no rationality, there's no logic, it's just pure instinct. So mm-hmm. in that way, I would say the alien queen is not wanting to protect out of a sense of love. <clears throat> yeah. Or even duty but really just for the preservation of the species. Mm. So is that really what motherhood is about? Good point. <laughs> like we're talking about like human versus non-human. So in the animal mm. kingdom, we do know that there are some animals who, you know, like kangaroos, my mm. kind, who <laughs> um, they actually have a very clear family structure and they mourn their dead and that sort of thing. So um, it, it does happen. But what we see with the Xenos is very much just like eat, kill, fuck. <laughs> like that's yeah. pretty much it, right? Like, those, much, like yeah. those base instincts that we would kind of attribute to animals. So yeah. in the sense that the alien queen is a mother, I see that only in terms of like the biological nature of what she's capable of doing in terms of giving mm. Whereas with Ripley, I don't see what she does as um, necessarily as as traditionally motherly. It's very traditionally mm. fatherly. So mm. I guess you could kind of argue that there's this like there's this false this false narrative of motherhood. Yeah, no, that's a. I was going to say you you kind of flip flipped my idea a little bit there when I thought about it. I was like, yeah, actually, it's not motherly what the Xeno Queen does. So it's quite interesting, actually, to think about it. I mean, it could be motherly if she, like, scooped up a little Xeno and was like, oh, you know, like, like, my baby. But she doesn't. It's just, like, the eggs come out. Mm. And um, and the other thing with Ripley too is that the more engaged she is with technology, the less feminine we can see that she is. Yeah. So, um, you know that big that big thing that she ends up in at the end of Aliens. Um, that's like a second skin to her, right? 
and yeah. she controls it very well. She's skilled at it, so she understands the technology. She moves as one with the technology, um, and so the deeper she kind of immerses herself in that futuristic um, technology, the, mm. the easier it is for her to actually destroy the what you could argue is the like the core of femininity, like the, the base femininity that we see in the alien mother. I mean, yeah. some of your listeners are probably like, this guy doesn't know what he's talking about. <laughs> <laughs> like, no, it's, oh, uh, <laughs> it's just the way I see it. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting to think about it from that perspective, though, absolutely. I mean, with with aliens, for me, like, Alien, Alien 1979, Aliens, two very perfect films and here we had the perfect ending for the franchise how it all went wrong do you really think it went wrong yes uh, i do lots of people do i guess uh, I don't, I, I, i'm not gonna shit all over alien 3 because there are parts of it i do like but for me i know that alien 3 went through developmental hell and back um to the point where David Fincher just completely disowned it, literally walked out the studio and was like, I'm fucking done with this. Um, uh, so how do you feel about Alien 3? Um, I really like it. Mm. Um, but I, like, I kind of look at, look at these movies, I guess, in a different way because I studied them. Mm. And so I'm not just going like, oh, like, you know, this is a bit slower or like where are my Zeno's at? But, I mean, on the back of Alien 2, Aliens, nothing was going to work really. Mm. Like nothing yeah. was going to be equal to or perhaps even better because the caliber was set really high. But I think what they wanted to do was like really develop that character of Ripley a bit more in the face of, like, really hard loss of Hicks and New, And she's got nothing left. She's got no hope of anything. And she's stuck on this prison planet with, like, these hyper-masculine, toxic people. Yeah. Um, you know, and there are rapists and murderers and all sorts of people in there. And she's got to hold her own against that. So the mm. reasons that I like it is um, are because that she actually does get to do that. Yeah. Um. And and like I know it, it probably doesn't feel like an alien film to a lot of people, but it it's the the title of the film is Alien Three. It's mm. not Xenomorph Three, right? Mm. And this is something that I I also talk to people about when we talk about Prometheus and Covenant and things. Mm. So in this sense, she's on this alien planet with people she can't relate to. They're the aliens, really. Mm. If that makes sense. Yeah. Or she's the alien to that planet. Um, and she's got somehow got to try and fit in with this really fucked up <laughs> little community. And then the only reason that she can't survive in that film is because she had sex with the doctor. That's it. You know, that cardinal rule for all five yeah. girls don't fuck. <laughs> I don't know. <have> <laughs> I mean, like, Charles Dance is very tempting. I mean, you know, you can't blame a girl. <laughs> it's, um, but so, so Alien 1, we see that kind of like infantile um, up to the toddler sort of stage, right? Of yeah. The, character. the second one, 
Um, she's very much that teen bravado, like, I can do anything, nothing going to kill me. Um, I can even kick something into space and, like, climb back up because that's totally doable. And, um, <laughs> and then in the third one is, like, that more mature Ripley, right? Mm. So she very much is that, like, sexual being. Um, but she's Ooh. got a shaved head. She's visibly more masculine. And then she has sex with a man. Hence why I think she's a gay male. And then mm. the idea of like ingesting male juice <laughs> uh, results in a stuff. Mm. Right. So it's, she becomes very, like, she, she kind of got to that masculinity point and then went the other way to the point yeah. where, you know, the incompatibility with masculinity and homosexuality. And so mm. she's no longer able to survive and commit suicide. Like that's the way that I see that movie, um, and I, I I really like the acting in it. Um, not all of it; mm. some of it's a bit iffy, but you could say that about most movies. Um, <laughs> but yeah, and the, the the presence of the aliens or the xenomorph itself in that movie was was a lot kind of pulled back compared to the yeah. two. So in that way, it was kind of reminiscent of of the first Alien film, um, mm. but with a very different version of ripley so i i i really like it sorry no i i things no to be honest some of the things you just said there those are the things that i do like about this film the reason i mean maybe this is just my the toxic fan side of me but the reason that i just i just can't connect to the film is because i just feel like they did new and hicks very dirty like with killing them off I just feel like, I mean, originally the idea was that they weren't going to bring Ripley back for this. They were going to have it to star Newt yeah. um, instead, which would have, maybe if that was the case, it would have been a different different sort of film. But, um, I mean, I think the, the idea that put them off it was, I mean, I, I believe at one point it was going to be set in a monastery and then they changed it to a prison, which was probably why they keep kept, yeah, honestly... <laughs> Which is probably why they kept like that religious aspect to the prisoners, probably from some of the scripts, however many there were. But the idea of having a child in that environment with murderers and rapists and so on and so forth, yeah, they were just like, nah, it's not going to work. So I think that's why they decided to bring Ripley back for it in the end. But to kill off those two characters who had just been through have them back in the last movie within the opening credits literally it just felt very dirty to me and that's kind of why like i i know i can, I can see that you're uh... no, like, i can see what you mean yeah but at the same time like no because <laughs> the universe that this is set in is mm. cold and cruel yeah and the actual like prison planet is the same. It is cold and cruel. So yeah. why should she get to keep anything? Mm. It's not about Hicks and Newt. It's about Ripley. Yeah. Why should she get? Why should she get this? Mm. Why does she deserve it? <laughs> In a universe that's cold and cruel. 
And I think well, that we wouldn't have any films otherwise, I suppose. <laughs> well, people like don't really stop to look at that sort of thing and go, like in the context of this universe that they built. Yeah. You know, and on this planet, it's every man for themselves. So having this like little clan of, or this little group of people that, you know, would literally die for each other doesn't quite actually make sense either. But I mean, at the same time, they could have brought Hicks and Newt back only to get killed in the first five minutes. That would have been cool. <laughs> like, I think that's all there is for me. I think I think it could have been handled better. It was. A, I think it was basically a way of like just saying, okay, we're just getting rid of these right off the bat. I think it could have been handled a little bit better as well. How much say. money Michael Bean would have wanted to come back? I don't know because I mean. He was pretty big think, off the back of Terminator and Aliens. Like, yeah, well, I mean, I was actually originally going to be named after um, Reese, Kyle Reese. My my name was meant to be Kyle when I was born. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously he was a very popular, popular man, popular actor <laughs> um, from Terminator. And um, But yeah, no, I think he was up for coming back, but he was just so pissed off with how they dealt with his character's death that they just wouldn't let, they wouldn't let them use his likeness at all in it. Um, so that's yeah, why yeah. you don't actually see Hicks. But I still think it. it's a good movie. Uh, don't get. I'm not saying. I'm not saying it's a terrible movie. <laughs> I'm not. How it all went wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I meant the franchise. I think the franchise just could have gone a different way. <clears throat> but it's not a terrible movie. I think there's a lot of there. Are, there are a lot of things that it does have in it that are are really good and really interesting and does make sense. But for me, personally, not my favourite. It's fine. But I do, I do like Alien Resurrection a lot. <laughs> yeah, I really like Resurrection. Yes. People shit on, on it all the time. And I love I it. it. It's, I, I understand. It's, in terms of the, where it is in the genre... It's very much a Z-Geist film in the sense it's very 90s sci-fi. Oh, yeah. And I think that's a good thing. Yeah. Like, it's it's very much of that time. So it kind, of, it kind of does stray away from the other films in that sense because it does have a different feeling. I mean, it's a lot more sexualized than previous installments, um, if that's possible with Giga's, Giga's designs. <laughs> but, um, I mean, you know, like Ripley ate herself very much over overly more the most feminine we've probably ever seen ripley in my opinion oh yeah absolutely um and like you know obviously character of ripley as much as it's a clone of ripley because she's the hybrid between the xeno and the human she's a very different character altogether than what we'd seen in the previous three films i mean what's your perception of a ripley oh, yeah i mean like, she really only exists as this, like, she is the technology now, mm. right? Like, she came to existence from cloning, and she was the eighth version of, you know, herself. And mm. she's got the acid blood, and she's got, like, some of the sensory type stuff. Um, so she is, like, the ultimate technology. Like, mm. there's, there's no, like, getting familiar with technology anymore. Like, she is it. So in that sense, the way that I see it is she's extremely different and that's mm. it's good that they put the eight on the end of her name as well 
um, to kind of like, you know, visibly demarcate that. But her character is very much like, like this weird sort of like newborn adult. Mm. Like she, she's very, like she learns very quickly and we kind of see like a few of those, the iterations of the first Alien 3, uh, the first three Alien films in mm. her character and then she kind of becomes her own new character kind of probably yeah. about halfway through the movie I'd say and she's very, yeah, sympathetic to the aliens as well as like knowing that they can't survive but in this movie, I think she actually is um, female. Mm. So because I, I don't think they were ever going to do a fourth one. And then, no. you know, because the whole way that she came to exist again was very much like a stretch. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but like Sam Bowles from Fury, uh, Fury 17, wasn't it? Yeah, that's how they got her, to, like to clone her. Yeah. And, yeah, of course, it's still going to have the uh, the baby Zeno inside of her chest. Yeah. I mean, I mean it, yeah, it's far-fetched. I, I, I know that. But I just, yeah, I just, I kind of, that's one of the bad. reasons I kind of like it. <laughs> I didn't say it was a bad thing. There was something <laughs> in the 90s that were very far-fetched, but it was just like these filmmakers had, a, had an idea and that was mm. going to happen. And then people stop him and go, but what's the story? And you go, oh, shit, I forgot about the story. So they just make some, <laughs> some like, connecting thing up and the audience is just like, yeah, it's okay because the action scenes are really cool. <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, yeah, it's... It, it, I really like the character of Ripley 8. Yeah, um, I love Ripley 8. She's, she's, like, like, she's kind of become that mother in the end mm. that I think like was hinted at in previous films. Like is that something mm. that she wanted and she becomes this mother, but she has to kill it like because it's an abomination. Um, I mean, again, it's something, something else that's interesting in the director's cut, the special edition, they actually alluded to there was scenes with her looking at pictures of it, like when they're doing the picture scene of showing that there was one with a little girl with blonde hair and it was like the, you know, the light bulb of her trying to remember. And she tells Cole during the chapel scene in the deleted, the uh, deleted scenes as well um, about Newt and how she's starting to remember who she was and she remembers her name. So if they added that in, that probably would, again, it probably would have heightened the connection that she wanted to have with this newborn, even though she knew it was an abomination because she had those feelings still for new. I think that's what yeah. they originally were going to try and get across. But at the same time, it feels like they were kind of separating the trilogy in a way, mm. for, in that aspect, away from Ripley. As in Ripley's character in those three, this is Ripley H, she's a completely different character, completely different person. <laughs> Yeah, I I think it would have been a much more powerful movie if they had left that in, though. Because I remember in the the original version, the theatrical release, that there was a scene in there where she's, like, saying something about a girl she once knew, and she doesn't name mm. her or anything. But mm. we know, because we've seen the other movies, that she's talking about you. Mm. Um, and it was like, oh... If they had kept the other one in, we'd be like, oh, like, you know what I mean? 
would have been much more interesting for the viewer because we have also grown up with Ripley. You know, like mm. we have a connection to the character of Ripley. So it's interesting to see Ripley is sort of she's yeah she's a protagonist, but she's also got those antagonistic qualities to her as well. Like you kind of it's almost like if you were to go into this movie blind, having watched the previous three for the first time, it's like you wouldn't trust her to you know, be be the hero this time. And I think that's something else that I found quite clever about making her this hybrid between the Xeno and the human. Yeah, and it also kind of plays on the viewer expectation because we're mm. so familiar with that character. It would have been interesting, though, in terms... I know they have the clone scene, which to me is just fucking brilliant. Oh. Uh, clones 1-7, but the most that they could give her was a bit of decent nail polish to show that she was different. It really is that it? <laughs> <laughs> I, I think that I, yeah, like literally, because she's got like that, like it's just pretty much the same color as the Xenos. Like nail, her nails are the same color as the Xenos. <laughs> That's all they kind of like gave her to well show the difference, other than the acid blood and obviously the. Well, they had that kind has. of like she had her hair out. Um, and it was all greasy, and she had that kind of like sweaty look that the Xenos always have because they're always covered in dripping in shit. And yeah. her, the way that her costume actually was was like that, um, like really smooth, sleek, which is also the same design as the Xenomorphs. So, yeah, me, it wasn't just the nails, but I see what. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong, she's got cracking nails in this film. I think they're great. <laughs> How, in terms of, like, in terms of as well, I mean, yes, this is very much about Ripley 8, but because it's the 90s and it's all about Winona and Johnny back then. Um, oh. Winona, <laughs> to, to keep up with current events. Um, but yeah, with, with Una, rather than this being Sigourney Weaver, Alien Resurrection, it was Sigourney Weaver, Winona Ryder, mm. Alien Resurrection. So it's very much like marketed to fans of Winona Ryder. In terms of Call, though, and I I like Call, but do you feel that she was a cash-in sort of character? Because if they weren't going to get Winona, apparently they were going to try and get Angelina Jolie. Was Angelina Jolie big in the 90s, though? Well, she <laughs> she did Cyborg too. No, um, <laughs> um, she, she started to get popular towards the back end of the 90s, to be honest. And I think because she was John Voight's daughter, people were interested in her, and obviously because she had that unique look. But she didn't really become popular until Girl Interrupted, really. Yeah. Um, and then later on, she did GR and then so on and so forth. God in 60 Seconds remake, etc. And that's why when she became more popular. But I think there was an interest in them because of the fact she was John Voight's daughter and she was very, like, like the way she looked basically was very popular with casting well, directors. I think with, um, with Winona Ryder, because she was, she was quite popular back then. Yeah, I think sometimes the studios will only greenlight a project if you've already got a top billing cast. Mm. So once they got her attached to the film or to the project or, like, said that they wanted to, then it's like, okay, we'll greenlight it and we'll give you a 
bigger budget because she's going to be in it. We're going to get lots of money, yeah. lots of viewers. But I don't know. I, I think like the character would have been in there regardless of who played it, but it was more mm. just a cash grab to get Winona Ryder to play it. I mean, she even said this about about the role. Like, she she was up for it. She really wanted to do it when she was like when she was offered the role. She just grabbed it straight away. Um, she said, "I couldn't hold my own against Sigourney Weaver and those special effects. I still don't know what I was doing in that movie. I look at it now and realize I didn't belong. I'm just this little girl running around." So that's how she feels about it. It's interesting to think of it. That doesn't mean that's how everyone else sees it, though. Like, yeah, of course. we're our own worst critics. So yeah. <laughs> I can see, like, that would have been a massive opportunity for her. And yeah. he obviously just feels like she didn't do it justice. But really, mm. like, the fourth installation, the main stars coming back, who would have done it mm. justice? That's, yeah. It's that's, an impossible that's... position to be in. It is. Like, I don't know. I don't know who else they could have gotten that would have that would have suited like that sort of androgynous android look. Mm. And yeah, she was perfect for it. She really I, was. I, I just, yeah, I think she was. I don't, I think that, yeah, she, she, you know, she's very secondary in terms of everything. Like there's no, I think everybody in this film is like, when you come away from this film, the only thing you're going to remember really is probably Ripley eight and probably the newborn. Yeah, and it's quite sad, really, because <laughs> yeah, the newborn. Um, it's quite sad, really, because I think that there was a lot of potential for the character of Cole, but I think they gave a lot to Ripley A in terms of how much they wanted to characterize her. And I know that um, Ripley A and Cole's like connection was very much supposed to be inspired by Gabrielle and Zena from uh, obviously Zena Warrior. Really, Princess. I didn't know that. Yeah, that's so that's why um, so that's why there's like those um, those homosexual tendencies between like tension and tendencies between them. Apparently, it was inspired by you know tensions. Lucy Lawless would have been a good actress to play Cole. Yeah, I agree. Now that I think about it, but she was no one. She well, I mean, she was Xena, and no one would have yeah. seen her as anything other than Xena, but. I know. I always feel that bad for Lucy Lawless because I think like she did Xena and that's what she was always stereotyped as. And even when she got like a stint on the X Files, she was meant to be in it for like the whole season. Yeah. And she yeah, she couldn't she had personal circumstances, she couldn't carry on with it. So she never really got that break away from Xena, really. It's quite sad. But haven't you seen Ash vs. Evil Dead? Well yeah, I, I haven't seen it actually but i know that she's in that but <laughs> she's great people yeah, she plays is it ruby sorry not ruby she plays um, ruby yeah, doesn't she ruby, yeah yeah i haven't seen that but i want like yeah i just mean like during like that sort of like 90s 2000s like until she did ash versus evil dad it was very much Zena and b movies which yeah that's true she's great but yeah but yeah, I know she would have been a great call. Um, absolutely, she's definitely got the look. I, I could imagine her as an android in mm. um, uh, in in this movie. Well, she played the super soldier in X Files. Not so much, really. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, do you 
Do you feel cheated, though, in terms of this franchise, that this was the last Alien film that we got with Ripley? No. Mm. No. I think, like, to be honest, they could have stopped the films earlier and kind of done, like, Alien stories with that followed different characters to mm. kind of preserve, like, the magic that was Ripley. I'm glad mm. that they did three and four because I like them, but they could have e- yeah. just as easily done those same movies without Ripley, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, so I always kind of feel like fans fans ruin things a lot when mm. they, you know, like they sign their little things on the internet to be like, we want more. And, you know, like whole shows get renewed for another season because the fans demand it. So the, the studios know they're going to have a big, um, you know, the ratings are going to be high. But yeah. do they have the storyline to back it? So I I think it's a, I think it's good that they stopped. But mm-hmm. I will say I was I was mega excited when Neil Blomkamp was going to do the yes. new Alien Five. Mega I was excited. as well. I studied the artwork that he put online. I was like, oh my god, this and oh my god that. I was really really excited. And what pissed me off too. Yeah, well, that's what pissed me off. Like, over here, she went on, like, three different chat shows and they brought this up and she talked about it in length. Like, it was going to happen. Yeah. And then, apparently, like... I mean, I know 20th Century opted for Ridley Scott's trilogy, which never happened. Uh, But I'm not there. Um, Which was, um, you know, a mistake. But also, as well, I just feel like they didn't... It almost seemed like it was a sure thing, and it was almost as if there's something something must have happened behind the scenes because Ridley Scott was like, "Oh, it was just nothing more than an idea." And it's like, well, no, because Sigourney Weaver was more or less promoting this before it even <laughs> happened with the storyboards on like every freaking chat show she went on. It might, so have, it must have been a sure thing. I think it it, it could have been a rights thing, like Ridley mm. Scott may still retain some of the rights to the character or something. Um, mm. and decided to make a move on it before Neil Blomkamp, before the rights expired and Neil could do his thing. I mean, I think it was very much like a case of Ridley Scott was making, obviously it was Prometheus and then there was um, Covenant and I think he was going to, like I said, he was going to make a trilogy of new alien films after Covenant, but because of the critical failure of the film, that just didn't happen and now it's at the process of being becoming a TV show where it's going to be set on Earth uh, at the back end of the 21st century, I believe. Mm-hmm. But I think I'm excited for that because I'm, I'm excited for the idea. I can see you laughing to yourself. You're like, you look so disappointed. Ah, <laughs> uh, look, I mean, I... The only way I think the TV show could work is mm. it does what you were saying before about isolation Mm. and follows Amanda Ripley Mm. and saying like what happened to my mum and this whole like life thing that she has trying Mm. to find out what happened to Ripley, to Ellen Ripley. Mm. Um, You could also bring in old characters and things like that from people who did survive um, like, you know, or people who knew about it or something. Mm. Um, I just I, I just don't know what to make of it. 
I mean, I I understand what you're saying because I mean it would be interesting if they did that, but because even though it's a game and it's also now a novelization, they've more or less done Amanda's story, so they won't probably won't redo that now because their idea is they want this to be completely fresh with new characters, new yeah. ideas. I'm interested to see how they execute it because it's something we haven't had as an alien TV show yet. And I'm interested to see how they do it. Mm. I'm excited for it in that sense. So I'm going to give it a chance. But <laughs> I'm definitely going to watch it. I'm just very reserved because I think I actually really liked Prometheus and I really liked Covenant. And I know a lot of people didn't. And I can see you probably didn't with the look on your face. <laughs> no, I didn't. I liked Prometheus. I didn't like Covenant. I I liked that the focus was not on the xenomorphs because it's mm. not called xenomorph. It's called alien, and mm. anything is that's you know it's alien if it's foreign to humanity. So David and Walter, like they're the the aliens, and they're working. Um, David's working to create this ultimate species, which turns out to be the xenomorph. Mm. or you know an ancestor of the xenomorphs or something and i really just kind of really liked that 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 stretch of story the way mm. it was executed particularly in covenant not great but overall yeah. i still really enjoyed the movies and what they were trying to mm. achieve and i would really like to see that third one that they were gonna do mm. <laughs> probably will never do yeah, but I, I think, like, invest stuff into that rather than this new TV show. Like, it's going to dilute the franchise, that, you know, even further is what, I, is what I'll say. I mean, the, the, the big thing, I mean, the joy of this, this is, is that it is a franchise. So if people don't like things, like, like obviously I don't like Covenant, which I've just admitted, people don't like some of the movies, there's a million novels <laughs> pretty much there's loads of games there's so many spin-offs comics and there's just so much that this is such a big universe now with with um the alien or xenomorph mythology and what have you and i think that's why it's you know after so many years it's still so popular i mean there's also alien versus predator which in itself has that own its own like little mini verse as well and I think that's something that I really, I really do like about the Alien franchise in general is that there's different avenues you can go to, and you can read some of the novels, and you can be invested in those characters rather than yeah. just the movies. And yeah, I mean, like I like that too, but I also kind of think if you want to do something fresh mm. and new and new characters, then don't call it Alien. Mm. And don't use the xenomorph. Just make it a creature mm. feature of a different variety, and then it is new and it is fresh. So <laughs> I just think they're trying to capitalize on that existing fan base. Yeah, and probably aren't going to do it to the to the level that we want them to do it. No, it'll be interesting to see how Prey does um, the Predator TV show. Yeah, isn't that a movie? Oh, was it a movie? I thought it was a TV show. Oh, uh, <laughs> but you know, I mean, that's another thing. Like, do we need the origin story of the Predator? No. Like, <laughs> it's like Hollywood scratching the bottom of the barrel sometimes, and they're like, "What was yeah. popular?" Oh, 
alien and oh, predator. Yeah, let's do another one. <laughs> so it's just like, you know, uh, I don't know. I mean, again, it's one to watch it, but yeah, <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm, I'm going to watch it too. <laughs> I think I just think it's one of those things. Like, obviously, you know. It's they were popular franchise. It's one of those things I just don't think is ever going to die in our lifetime. It's something that mm. will go on and on and on, be it through the medium of TV, movies, novels, comics, games, etc. Which yeah. I, I'm glad because I, I I like that there are different avenues that they can go down. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So you know, you know, it's it's a good thing in a way. It's nice. <laughs> It's like I'm just wait, I'm just waiting for like for Alien remake, you know. Like mm. I feel like there are some things that are sacred, and classic movies like that. Mm. I mean, it's like you know, Wizard of Oz, totally different movie, but that hasn't been remade like exactly the same. They did the Wiz and all that, but they haven't actually gone and remade Wizard of Oz for a reason no. because it's a yeah. classic. <laughs> I must admit, if they ever do an Alien remake, I think I would lose my faith in humanity. <laughs> I'm pretty close. <laughs> I'm pretty close, <laughs> so I don't need to be pushed over the edge. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you know, I saw okay. um, there was a movie on Netflix called Kate. Did you ever see that? I don't think I did, no. It was only about last year it came out. It had Mary Elizabeth Winstead in it. And some of the photos from that movie, I just thought to myself, that's the new Ripley. Or who, like mm. whatever alien thing they're going to do, that's her. She needs mm. to be her. So if it's not her, I think I'm going to be disappointed from the beginning. <laughs> I mean, I thought the same thing about um, Mary Elizabeth Winstead when I watched the Thing prequel. Um, oh, yeah. Like, she, was, she was in that. Yeah. Yeah. She's very, yeah, she very much, like, I think since then as well, she, it was, it's a weird one with Mary Elizabeth Winstead because she kind of started off as, like, your traditional final girl, screen queen yeah. in loads of horror films, and then she does, like, the Thing prequel, and all of a sudden it's sci-fi and action that she's started to do, and I think, you know, so it's kind of like she's she's got the best of both worlds there. She's been a screen queen, and she's also been a sci-fi heroine. Yeah, but yeah, no, she she very much reminds me of of Ripley, uh, yeah. in general in that film. Yeah, have a look at some of the photos from Kate because she's got like that white shirt, you know, from Alien to um, Sigourney mm. Weaver's got, and she got like a similar haircut, and she's like ah, like her her face just looks like I'm just like that's Ripley. Like yeah. if, if we're gonna do a remake or this stupid TV, sh- I'm sorry, this TV show, then <laughs> have her star in it, and it might have a chance. <laughs> Mary Elizabeth Winstead is the last hope for the Alien franchise you heard it here first well thank you so much David Jack for coming on and uh, talking about this with me it's been an absolute pleasure um, I hope you also enjoyed enjoyed today enjoyed the episode yeah it was lots of fun I love doing these podcasts yeah it's been amazing chatting to you about this I know how much you love this franchise and I do too despite some of the films I might not like in it believe it or not so Yeah, thank you so much for coming and thank you guys for listening to Slashing Horror.